Good morning. I'm glad we're all talking this morning. It's the perfect morning because we're talking about community today. I don't know about you guys, but I am so excited about what God is doing in our community. I mean, we've had so many things going on. A play structure for our kids. We got to give a hand for that. Just we've given a lot of hands for that, but it's, it's never old. This is going to be incredible for our grandkids, for our children, for our children's friends. We also had the lock-in this past Friday night. And uh, I got my proof of it right here. In case anyone thought I got a hand tattoo, I didn't. This is just henna. But it was an awesome time of worshiping with these teens, sharing our lives with them. And God did some awesome things that night. So thank you for all the volunteers who came out. Um, it was big. <laughs> and then we have our Closet to Yours this Saturday, which is amazing. Giving away hundreds, maybe thousands of free clothing items to our community. It's just an incredible way for us to show them that we love them. Just a couple of weeks, we launch groups during the Sunday of Fun Fest, which is pretty exciting because it's not only a chance we get to share the love and joy of Jesus that day, that Sunday when we all share together in community, but it's our chance to invite each other to connection into groups, and that's exactly what Pastor Roger and I will be talking about over the next couple of weeks. I don't know if you have gotten the chance to meet me yet, but my name is Hannah Bowersox, and I am one of the worship pastors and the discipleship pastor here at Centennial Road. I consider myself a pretty lucky person to have had the upbringing I have. I grew up in a church very much like this one. It was full of vibrant joy, affection for one another, greeters with big smiles on their faces, food around every corner, people consuming and people serving. I grew up with parents who opened the home, their home every Sunday that there was a new family. And we got to take that new family in and make them feel welcomed. As my mom finished up the pot roast and potatoes and my dad put wood into the wood stove, the kids would make the table all dressed in our Sunday best and wait those guests. As the second oldest and the first girl of the family, I definitely had a very large role to play as the entertainer and the hostess. I was supposed to, regardless of my attitude at the time, make all these random kids feel super welcome in our home, make them feel comfortable in a place they didn't necessarily belong. What I noticed is that when my attitude aligned with my actions, it was a lot easier for me to serve in this role. That I got to include the next Sunday, the kids that I met that the previous Sunday in Sunday school, or invite that really rough around the edges girl to all my birthday parties. I became the one at youth group always finding the outsiders to include, always making those teens feel comfortable every Wednesday night. And my parents didn't just teach us about attitude, they lived it. They knew that as much as you want to change the why of why your kids do things, attitude is totally up to them. But as a parent, you have the opportunity to demonstrate what that blending of our attitudes and our actions look like. As with any decision we make, our attitudes are either working together and willingness with our actions or working against it in opposition. My parents may have forced me into this role of hospitality, but I found that through their attitudes of service and hospitality, I could also be just as excited to open up the door of my heart to the strangers and the outsiders like they had modeled for me. Fake it till you make it, if you will. As we dive into scripture today, I think you're gonna find those themes resonating in the back of your heads. What does it look like to have our attitudes and our actions in line with Jesus? And to really dive into these concepts, I find it super fitting that we just happen to be in the middle of Romans. 
the heart of the book, where Paul, who's been ta- we've been talking about the last few weeks in our study in Galatians on attitude and perspectives, was writing to the Roman Christians, both Jewish and Gentiles, from his stay in Corinth on his third missionary journey. Like with his other letters, Paul uses this letter to encourage the Roman Christians, the Roman believers he's writing to, and to say, here's my instruction, here's my reassurance, here's my correction. And we can still dive into those same same themes today. Now, various scholars divide the book of Romans into multiple sections. We don't all agree on those sections are. But they confidently consider Romans chapter 12 to fall under the practical application section. The whole grouping of verses focuses on what it looks like to be a Christian in every day of our lives, what it looks like to live in Christian community, what it looks like to love other people, and to align our attitudes and our actions with Jesus. That being said, we have to brace ourselves because this book pretty much represents everything hard about being a Christian. Giving in community and humility, offering one another above ourselves, honoring, boasting of others' gifts, loving people well. And I don't know about you, but it's a super challenging book for me, a super challenging chapter. So let's just take a deep breath and let's dive right in. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given each of you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If Romans 12 is a direct response to Romans 1 through 11, then we have to go back to those previous chapters to see what Paul was trying to show us. We find him working through the concept of human brokenness and sin and then following it up by saying, there is new life in Jesus. In fact, summing up chapters 1 through 11, we can pretty much find the theme of the never-ending mercies of Christ. And the natural bridge we find between 11 and 12 is the word therefore. Therefore, since God has been so good to all of us. Therefore, since we have been saved. Therefore, since we're on the same page of understanding God's mercy, let us offer our whole beings to God in worship. Our bodies are representative of everything God has given us, our mind, our hearts, our strength. One translation of Romans says offering our bodies to God is a spiritual act of worship. And I love the way commentator Elizabeth Shively puts it. The term spiritual can also be translated as rational. In fact, in extra-biblical literature, rational worship is connected with moral behavior. In the context of Romans 12, this makes sense. The full-bodied worship for which Paul calls us is a matter of character of our bodies. We are truly offering ourselves to service for others. It's this concept, again, of attitude and actions, that we are able to catch ourselves when our attitudes and actions aren't quite lining up. To be completely surrendered to God, to not conform to our world's standards, pressures, 
brokenness in our minds or our bodies, but rather be changed, totally transformed by the renewing of our minds in him. So on a personal note, these verses are super challenging, but on a corporate level, it's amazing to see how Paul takes those three verses and attaches them to the five that seamlessly follow after. God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will is not only for us to surrender our bodies individually, but to surrender our bodies corporately, plural. We as a community have a responsibility to be transforming our minds together, to be offering our bodies together. Mary Hinkle Shore says, to all of this, Paul says, you used to belong to sin and the way to save slave belongs to your master. Body, mind, and spirit, you were captive. Now you belong to one another with bodies that belong to the body of Christ whom God raised from the dead. And living, she says, in any other way seems to be long to a mindset conformed by the world. However, by contrast, she says, as those in Christ imagine and enact prophecy, exhortation, generosity, compassion, and other such things together, we bear witness that our head is in a different game. By such imagining and acting, our bodies declare what is true about us, that we belong to Christ and that we belong together. It's really amazing when you start putting two and two together that our personal commitment to offer ourselves to God directly affects and influences our neighbor. Because if we're truly offering all we are to him, we're also offering all we are to others. Which makes verses three through eight fit perfectly as a follow-up. Let's pretend there's a therefore again. Therefore, since we are living out of this grace we've been talking about, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do not forget that we all have different, different gifts to give to the church and to God. Don't forget to use your gifts for God in a cheerful manner for the good of the body. Now, Romans 12 is one of the best passages on Christian fellowship. And I'm so glad we'll be hearing the second half from Pastor Roger next week. The buzzword at Houghton for the four years Justin and I went there was the word community. We literally had a running joke that our president, Shirley Mullen, would use that word about five times for every sermon or talk she gave. But that's not to rip on Shirley's because she was right. Houghton was the greatest community I had ever been a part of. We lived in dorms with all of our friends and our not-so-favorite people. We were surrounded by incredible faculty and staff for eight hours plus a day. We worked on-campus jobs with awesome bosses. We had coaches and church leaders just giving us their time and their advice and their wisdom. Houghton was an amazing community. And although we did realize it at the time, it didn't really hit us until way later. It hit us when we couldn't find people to stay up all night with us to play games anymore. It hit us when we started eating PB&J for every meal, just by ourselves in our apartment, instead of experimenting with all these different kinds of food with all of our friends nearby in the cafeteria. It hit us when we needed advice and wanted guidance, but we didn't have that same access to our professors that we once had. The community that we relied on, that we had grown so accustomed to, was no longer there, and Justin and I floundered for support and the new community we landed in in Nashville, Tennessee. In contrast, for such a bustling and creatively vibrant city, our time in Nashville was pretty dark. It could have been the Southern culture we didn't understand. Maybe it was the jobs we weren't obsessed with. It could have been the difficulties of owning our own businesses on top of that and touring all the time, feeling exhausted and burnout. I'm sure 
all of that played a little bit into it. But when I pin that time period down, there's really one, only one thing that comes to mind. And that's that Justin and I were lacking community. We weren't in Houghton anymore. And as much as we wanted to click our little red heels and wish we were back home like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, we knew that we were in a new season of life and we would just have to make the most of it. But unfortunately, as hard as we looked for a church to belong to, the more discouraged we came with our findings. And once we had fully landed in and committed to a church, our circumstances didn't seem to change that much. Oh, that church, that church that was so rich in its intellectualism. It felt like Houghton in its academic proclamation of our faith. That church that was so theologically and philosophically rich, rich with tradition, rich with worship and liturgy, but if you took a moment to measure the health of the community that made up that church, it was bankrupt. It was living in poverty when it came to the richness or lack thereof of the accountability, the friendship, the overall hospitality that should be markers of our faith. Justin and I devoted over two years of our lives to that church, hoping to see change, hoping to be part of the change but we left feeling more like outsiders than we did when we first got there. I wanna give that church some grace. The pastors were incredible, and we made a couple of really good friends. And I also love that little white building, and I love the liturgy that brought me into the presence of God every Sunday in communion with the rest of the saints, but I don't miss that church. I don't miss that family that was never my family. I don't miss our lives there because we never found what we were looking for connection and community. And why do I share all this? Because if I am confident about one thing in this church, it's that in this church we have strong community. I don't know if this is your first time here or if you've been here 10 times, maybe you've grown up here. But I'm saying with confidence that if you don't feel like you belong yet, there is connection around the corner. I know I'm biased being on the church staff, but I have the privilege to see some behind the scene things that you might not get to. I see the heart of the operation through the eyes of not only the staff, but the board and the amazing volunteers that we have here. The time, the prayers, the hope that goes into making this a place where God is doing great things. The hope that we believe God has done and is doing and will continue to do great things. In staff meeting each week, we pray for you. We pray for every connect card we receive, every prayer request we've heard that week. Each staff member individually prays for the good of this body and in this community. I can assure you that the main theme on our hearts every week as we lift up our corporate cries and prayers is for you to be connected to God and to others. It's our heart as a church that all people find connection. And that being said, I am not perfect at community. I'm not perfect at connecting with people. And I'm going to take a guess and guess that you aren't either. And if you aren't perfect and I'm not perfect, then how can we expect the church to be perfect in this way? It isn't. The church is not perfect. My love is imperfect and your love is imperfect. The church's love by itself is imperfect. But the amazing, beautiful thing is that the church is covered by God's grace. If you've missed a connection somewhere, there is still time. 
If you've missed reaching out to someone that you knew God put on your heart, hope is not lost. If God put an area of ministry in your mind and in your vision and you've been ignoring it, there's still time to act. Houghton was an amazing community, but it was temporary. Nashville was a difficult community, but it was also temporary. Our community right here is temporary. Right here, right now. But we're living it. We are the lifeblood. And it's worth getting invested. Use this opportunity to get connected and stay connected with one another. And don't worry about those transient stages. Don't worry about perfection. Just get involved and trust that Though this community is ultimately temporary, the community of faith is eternal. And we are building into that every time, every time we invest ourselves into others. In Christ, no act of love is in vain. Justin preached a few weeks ago about thinking like Christ leads to living like Christ. And in talking about perspectives and attitudes, I find it interesting that though we've concluded one sermon series we happen to be still talking about transforming our minds and living like Jesus. And changing our thinking leads to changing our living. I don't think it's coincidence that we've settled on Romans 12 for the next couple of weeks. I don't think God was quite done teaching us about perspective, teaching us the importance of self-denial over self-promotion, the importance of following Jesus to the uncomfortable, less convenient opportunities that might just lead to community. How our attitudes and our actions would literally open up brand new doors of authentic connection. Elizabeth Shively says, the trajectory of Romans 1, 18 through 32 is towards an antisocial behavior. That is, the climactic result of wrong worship is broken relationships, not only with God, but with people. After Paul lays, the gospel, lays out the gospel, he returns to the issue in chapter 12, now that we can understand the gospel of God's mercy, says Paul, can we respond with proper worship that is manifest in loving relationships? Looking at these first two verses, we might conclude that worship is adequately performed through our corporate liturgy, preaching, and music. These practices are not wrong, but they do not reach far enough. For Paul, worship is full-bodied. It happens in community as we live out our faith by serving one another to build up the body of Christ. The quality of our worship is not measured by what happens on Sunday morning only, but what happens when we get together Monday through Saturday. So here's the heavy hitter, guys. Coming full circle to the beginning of my message, I talked about the ways this church is making a relational impact on our community. The lock-in, the play structure, our closet to yours. But I also mentioned there's a way that we can all get connected. Does anybody remember what that is? Groups, yeah, good work, guys. Your memory's awesome. So groups, does we, my challenge for each of you, perfect, there's a slide right there, is for you to commit. Commit to a group. Participate. Step out and allow God to teach you new things through closer community. So right now I want you to pull out your brochures, get them out, your red cards in them. <laughs> Our new cheesy phrase for you, because we have to have one for each of these, is red if you're ready. Are you ready to dive in to this family? Are you ready to find accountability, friendship, encouragement? 
If so, take a look at the pictures in your brochures. Those amazing, lovely faces are your group facilitators. We have a couple more to add to that. If I may brag on them for just one minute, these people have committed 10 weeks of their time. They've opened their homes, their hearts, their time to you. So I want you to pick one and fill it out and drop it in the basket out there, drop it at the welcome desk. We want you to be connected. And our goal at Sea Road is to have 100% of our people involved in groups. It's a lofty goal. But it's that important. It's that important to find discipleship and community. I'm challenging you all, looking at each of you as fast as I can in the eyes. I'm saying we can do this together. Ready or not, let's do this. I want to leave you with three other tangible things you can take away from today. Number one is be the inviter. Don't wait for an invitation. Imagine if every one of us chose to initiate the invitation process. I think we would set the world on fire. I think we all have those hilarious stories about how we meet our best friends. Anyone in the room feel that way? Do you have a weird story about how you meet? Okay, everyone has cool, okay, this is going to be extra embarrassing now. I know I have a few, but one of my best friends from college definitely takes the cake. Marsha and I got put on the same 10-day wilderness adventure out in the Adirondacks. It was pretty much 10 days of straight backpacking and canoeing. It was a little bit more like boot camp for outdoorsy people. We had a two-day solo adventure out of that 10 days where we fasted and prayed and had intense amounts of alone time. This adventure is where I met Marsha. And she was wearing a completely pink outfit this, the first day I met her and seemed uber confident. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, I highly doubt this girl and I are going to hit it off. I think she's definitely a girly girl and I doubt she has a sense of humor. I admit, this entire thought process is extremely judgmental. I was definitely under some stress being a first-time freshman at Houghton College. But before the adventure began, we had to set up a tent blindfolded with the rest of our team. Blindfolded. You can tell that this story alone would be interesting because we didn't even really know each other's names yet. But I remember hearing Marsha's confident voice speak out above all the chaos. Who is this girl? Who does she think she is? Well, fast forward to an insane amount of time carrying canoes over our heads and backpacking, camping, not showering, and creating hilarious memories. And this girl and I started to get softer toward one another. We really started to warm up. So much, in fact, that we began conspiring on how it would be possible to shave our legs when our leaders weren't looking. Now, this was illegal. We weren't allowed to do anything hygienic. <laughs> I don't know why we cared about this so much at that point, but we were young, and I guess we were 18, didn't have boyfriends. We're like, we got to care about something these days. So we really... <laughs> I think it gave us a thrill to just be rebellious in this one category. The non-hygiene rules seemed crazy, so rebellious. So I think the next thing we knew, I have to tell you this part, is we were using my water bottle just as a clarifier. And I have to clarify this because we were in the middle of the mountains with access to clean water only a couple times a day. So the next thing I knew, we were using my water bottle to dump water on our contraband razors as we shaved almost two weeks of hair away. <laughs> for one second with a major lapse in judgment on Marsha's part, I remember slow-mo looking back to her 
clinging her razor into my water bottle. Her nasty, hair-filled razor into my sacred water bottle. It was disturbing. <laughs> I remember as disgusting as, and messed up as that situation was, how ridiculous that lapse in judgment was, we were dying of laughter as I made her promise to share her other water bottle with me for the rest of the trip. Did I mention that I'm a complete germaphobe? <laughs> you can ask my husband. <laughs> so even sharing her water bottle was awful for me, but I sucked it up. I tell you the story to make one point. You never know who will become a best friend. You never know who will prove themselves as solid accountability in your life. Who might just be there through some of the toughest and hardest and most challenging periods of your lives. Why do we shortchange ourselves in community when things start to get uncomfortable? Marsha is one of my very best friends and was my accountability partner for four years at Houghton. That girl in the pink outfit who spoke confidently about the way things should be done, who cleaned her hairy razor into my water bottle, was one unlikely friendship. And boy, am I thankful that I didn't close the door of my heart to her. I love this quote. In the mainstream, with its illusions of unlimited relational possibility, we can counter dissatisfaction in relationships by simply moving on in search of the right people. But community demands we cultivate friendships with people who we might not choose ordinarily. Founding friendship on commitment rather than on chemistry often requires adjustment. But at the end of the day, however, we have found that any loss of chemistry in relationships is more than made up for with gains in meaning. Number two, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I love the way the ESV commentary sums up this section. It says, the grace of the gospel calls Christians into personal holiness, mutual service, good citizenship, and wholehearted neighbor love in Christ. Allow your mind and your body to demonstrate your love for Christ and what he's done for you. I love this quote by Jessica Nicholas. I thought that righteous people were the types that liked rules for the sake of rules. But really, righteous people love things like people, relationship, happiness, connection, holistic prosperity, and community. Number three, connection is greater than perfection. There is no time, perfect time, no perfect relationship, no perfect home, no perfect plan. But connection needs to happen anyway. Don't miss out on the opportunities that God is giving you just because you haven't heard that perfect word from him. He has told you time and time again through the Bible that we need each other, and he gave us each other. Deborah Folletta says, what if our loneliness is not the result of simply needing a partner, but of needing people? We are made in the image of a relational God. It makes sense that we possess the desire to be together. Don't let perfection win, let connection lead us all into becoming mini Christ for his glory. I'm going to end the service a little bit differently than we normally do. And during our time at Houghton, we didn't attend the big Wesleyan campus church. Instead, we participated in this tiny little Baptist church in the middle of nowhere about 15 minutes from Houghton. Theologically, I differed from this Baptist church. Culturally, it didn't have too much to offer either. Pretty much everyone was white and in the farming community. Musically, it wasn't really my taste. The church building was not particularly aesthetically pleasing. 
but let me tell you the people. The people were awesome and the community was strong. I felt loved and connected. I felt missed every time Justin and I had to be gone for a weekend touring with the band. The community at this tiny Baptist church in the middle of nowhere was the reason I stayed. Every single week we sang the same song at the end of each service that brought tears to my eyes on a regular basis. I was made fun of, maybe a little, by Pastor Roger earlier this week for including this song because let's be real, it's, it's super corny. But these corny lyrics hit you right where it counts when you know how true these words really are. And to me, our time at that little Baptist church in the middle of nowhere was a time that God taught me not to judge a book by its cover and definitely not allow theological differences to impact or determine the potential of relationships. I learned what it was like to sing a song about community and look around and feel the truth of those words in my bones. No matter where you are on your journey with Christ, please promise me this, you will try to get connected. Because once you're connected, you will sing this song with your whole heart and mean every word. Would you guys stand and sing with me? I'm so glad we're part of the family of God together. Would you raise your hands toward heaven and receive this benediction? May the Lord, who is equally and completely saved each of us through Jesus Christ, enable us to lean on each other and trust that through connecting with one another, more of his love would reach this world. Amen.